Hey friends, welcome back. We are on track again with a conversation about religion and food. And today's show is about what you may know of as the Mormon diet or the, uh, the food ways of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you are part of that community, uh, I want to apologize in advance for uh, bouncing around with the nomenclature. I'm aware that inside and outside of the church, there are ongoing discussions, discussions that have been going on, especially since 2002 with the Olympic Games that came to Salt Lake City and this idea that maybe uh, the brand needs to be drawn back to that emphasis on Jesus of the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, And yet, many people who are part of that church go by Mormon. It's easiest for people outside to go by Mormon. So for the most part, we will use that uh, just for clarity uh, and uh, so that we're not actually talking about the church and our listeners, assuming that means something like the mainstream Christian church or the Catholic church. We're going to be talking about Mormons. More exciting than the names we use are the various ways in which we can look at the history of a a religious group that developed very recently in the United States and and learn some things about the ways in which unique food habits can help to uh, consolidate a community and to demonstrate some of their values. So stick with us. We're glad we're here. Maybe uh, grab yourself uh, a a nice little uh, uh, treat or something. Make sure it's uh, maybe more like a Rice Krispie treat. Uh, avoid uh, avoid the booze. We'll talk about that in a second. Here we go. All right, Stacy, we had a great. We had a great uh, time this week with was, uh, with somebody close to us. It was a busy week, I'll tell you. Oh, it was very busy. <laughs> uh, Got a lot going on. Got my other jobs going, and um, yeah, but we made we made some space and uh, took a trip up to Loma Linda, uh, where uh, our, our our dear dear, I'll put in, you know adopted daughter. We yeah. look out for her, um, yeah. Mana. Um, that she had her white coat ceremony. It's easier for her. She calls us her uh, her American, American parents. Family. Yeah, and that's easy. Uh, the hard part She's is our adoptive Persian daughter. But, yeah. we, but we love her actual family. We know her mom yeah, and dad. Right. <laughs> they're so just she not has, in the area. So she has parents and all of yeah. that. Um, they're just yeah. They're just not locally. So right. you know, local. So uh, we're able to kind of step in in that role when she when she needs. Um, you know. But, so it was so so wonderful to be able to go up there yes. and be a part of this uh, ceremony with her. But <laughs> there was some things that, um, you know, were a little bit, I was a little surprised by. Yes. I did not realize um, how religious this service would be. It was Loma first of Linda, all. Yeah. even on its medical center, emphasizes its Seventh-day Adventist identification. Mm-hmm. And many of the people, as we were sitting there in the uh, in the service, where they were doing the white coat ceremony for dental students... I could hear some people that maybe had gone there and weren't thoroughly aware of what it meant uh, that they were in this church affiliation. So I heard one kid saying, right, what was he saying? Um, I didn't hear in the service, but afterwards I heard him say that somebody wanted to have a conversation about his relationship with God. And he was, he, I guess there was some worrisomeness uh, that the, uh, you know, 
the authority, whoever it was, uh, you know, a dean of some kind or whatever yes. that was interested in having a conversation. And so he felt like he was in trouble, but was like, you know, yikes, I don't know what I necessarily got myself into. This isn't to pick on them. It's to help us to realize, like in my case, if you're an outsider, it may seem that Lutheran College is like any other church-related Christian school, but we have unique things that we emphasize that maybe you wouldn't expect. Right. We tend in the Lutheran communities to be uncomfortable with having uh, communion services for everybody. So you could go to a non-denominational service at Azusa Pacific, which is a Wesleyan school nearby, and they'll have communion for everybody. And we at Concordia don't because kind of like the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox, they protect that bread and wine, you know. Yeah. And uh, so that's a little bit of a different thing. So you might feel like you're an insider-outsider as you come here. Right. Well, well, I felt like an insider-outsider <laughs> as I was there. Anyway. Yeah, well, and, and then, the, you know, later on we wanted to go out to eat to celebrate. It's also her birthday. Uh, yesterday was, was her birthday, so to kind of celebrate that. And the white coat ceremony, we wanted to take her out to eat. So we started looking to see what was local right around there. And we realized that the values of this college uh, vastly impacted the local eateries yeah. uh, and, and, and the options that were available. And in a weird way, perfect for us, because as we have been trying, uh, not just trying, we've, we've cut out animal protein. Yes. Um, f- animal flesh, we should say. You know, on occasion we'll have eggs and cheese. And, and I found that it's been much harder to avoid that as a, as a kind of a base for my food here than it was when we were up yeah, in Portland. That's definitely true. So that's really a that's really a key piece. And even to at it. our own college when we try to eat at the cafeteria, that yes. there's very limited options. They always yeah. have a you know a beautiful salad bar. So yeah, that's so we always can always available. get something. But sometimes you're like, all right, I'll get a quesadilla to, to get a little bit more protein instead of just, you know, lettuce. And it reminds us that your diet is often going to be so deeply tied to your, Living your community area. where mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. And we, we already talked about how we were driving down the middle of the, the state and some parts made it almost impossible to find non, mm-hmm. you know, non-meat protein. And, uh, and yet, as we've been in other places, you might be, you know, in a dry county. Like we used to live in a dry county in, in Kentucky. And so the options that you're going to have will change. Yeah. What well, you're and because a lot of even the chains and things like that don't want to come into those areas because they can't make money off the alcohol sales. So what you get is a lot more of the mom and pop places, which is, I, I totally support that. And yep. I definitely enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, that is a good piece too. But it. they are going to cater specifically to that community and be even less aware of, you know, visitors and things like that, that right. are on the larger scale in, in America of what, you know, for vegetarian options and that kind of stuff. So it limits what's available to you. Now, the Seventh-day Adventists have a long tradition of health, and it's connected to a whole variety of religious movements related to health in the late 19th and early 20th century. Specifically, we could, you know, we'll probably talk about it on a future show, Kellogg, Graham, um, people that wanted to use... Uh, changing the diet as a way to take people uh, down a little bit in their libido, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that you wouldn't be as promiscuous, that you wouldn't right. be as violent, you know, so what you eat was going to affect your mood and so forth. Well, and so that these are called restorationist churches. Restorationist Christianity uh, in our area, uh, it, the, the legacy of it is at Hope International University, 
uh, you have um, the Disciples of Christ, but the Seventh-day Adventists and the Mormons well, that's the are thing. both part of that same yeah. early trajectory. Well, that's the thing. That, so we talk about the Seventh-day Adventist stuff because yes. it connects today's show in that when we were there, we were talking with Mana and realized there's no vending machines with anything. They don't sell caffeine whatsoever right. on the campus. You're, right. I guess you're allowed to drink caffeine if you need to on campus, but you can't um, purchase it. It won't be available to you. And then also... They have a very strict uh, vow against alcohol so that, you know, as a student, you're not allowed to consume alcohol in any way, Period. whether you're on or off campus, it doesn't matter. Um, and you can get kicked out if you're caught, drinking. you know, drinking. Um, and then the other thing, too, is you even pointed out is with the ceremony, some of the, the women forgot uh, and was, were wearing jewelry because you're not supposed to wear any jewelry either. Um, so some of these things of, I guess, because it might make a, a woman look too attractive or something right, like that and, right. and cause, uh, you know, men to think differently or something. So, you know, to not put anybody in that situation, just don't wear the jewelry is what their policy is. As I was sitting there, I, I Googled it because I was curious, like this was a pretty big institution, the, the Seventh-day Adventist institution. And I, and I realized it reminded me so much of a Concordia. So I Googled it and I think the stats were, this is, I, I should look it up, but it's in the one point something million. So I think that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is something like 1.4 million members and the Seventh-day Adventists are 1.8 million members. Mm. So they're, they're a, an alive and well operation around the country. But again, this is interesting because sometimes they get confused with Mormons. Yeah. I, I noticed in, in the little uh, information that I pulled out of the back of the pew uh, for the service we were in, it said, are you guys Mormons? No, but why would they be confused? Because both Mormons and uh, SDA, uh, Seventh-day Adventist people, do not have a prohibition absolutely against meat, but they at least historically have been in, involved with the idea that you should limit your meat intake, especially to times when there are, you know, kind of, it's like famine type needs, mm -hmm. right? So as a, as a general rule, eating healthy fruits and vegetables, that's something that's important both to the Seventh-day Adventists and to Mormons because they both come out of this, this set of movements of people that were trying to strip away all of the mainstream baggage of the denominations in America. And they wanted to restore primitive Christianity. They wanted to go, to go back to the book of Acts. They wanted to rethink what Christianity was. And in a weird way, while we are nowhere near the ideology of Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists, there are a lot of things that we find incredibly attractive, right? Not relying on processed foods, not thinking that there should be a disconnect between what we eat and our spirituality. Those right. are really important. And I really like the fact that we could yelp it when we were there and say <laughs> afterwards, we're going to go hit some, some uh, vegetarian restaurants. And there's a ton of them. The only problem is Stacy, I also wanted a cocktail. <laughs> and you're not going to get those. Not going to get a cocktail <laughs> there. Well, so. I mean, if you think about it too, I mean, so what caffeine and alcohol are both mind altering, you know, yeah. uh, substances, yeah, right? They're, they're so, druggy. so I think that, I mean, that, is that the connection then for being against? Oh yeah, those yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll, let's move we, over we to move the Mormonism. The Mormons. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so they're kind of somewhat from the same same background, and I'll I'll uh, you know as a professor of the history of religion, you know, I uh, I got lots on that. But before I get there, Stacy, there I think of all the things that uh, are popular with the with the uh, Mormon diet. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just incidental to the thing. I bet if you could think about it, I just want to want to ask you. 
what is your favorite Mormon contribution to the world in terms of diet? <laughs> root beer? See, root beer is, <laughs> I think root beer is the answer. I'm going to talk about root beer in a second. But I was thinking fry sauce for me. Oh, that's You funny. know, like everybody's got their thing. The Amish have quilts. Yeah. You know. I, um, yeah, I've not been a fan of the fry sauce, to be honest. You don't like the fry sauce? Mm-mm, there's something in it. I, don't, with the I wonder if it's like horseradish. I can't remember what it is, but there is a flavor in uh, there. I that, love the fry sauce. Yeah, I'm not, I like Thousand Island dressing type stuff when it's, it's sauce like that. Fr- but there's a, a tweak on it that I don't know what the ingredient they put in there. But it crosses. I think a it's line that paprika, maybe. you know, fry sauce. I don't, I don't know. know. But it's it's a it's a lot like uh, the you know a kind of a mixture. Uh, it's a condiment, you know, and you use it for the French fries, which uh, you know is is tasty. It's a little bit like uh, mixing the mayonnaise and the ketchup, you know. But different because I, like I said, I'm all over, you know, uh, secret sauce. <laughs> you know, a lot of people put on burgers. Um, I enjoy, you know, Thousand Island dressing every now and then with, with dipping my fries. It's kind of like, I guess I grew up with my parents making a uh, taco salad with Thousand Island dressing. Do you like the, do you like the Raising Cane's fry sauce? No. Oh, you don't? Well, anyway, so if you, friends, if you aren't living in the uh, Salt Lake City region and you, you are near a, a Raising Cane's, it's similar to that, though I think Raising Cane's has its, you know, kind of a, I don't know, it seems to be more like a... Uh, uh, a little more of a Southwest flavor, but it does. It originates in Utah, and it's, so it's kind of, to me, like a, a, an interesting Mormon contribution. But you are right. You have never tried, friends. You have never tried root beer until you've had a Mormon friend make root beer. So on the on the website, we're going to post a couple recipes. What I like about Mormon root beer is that if you do it right, if you do it beyond just having some uh, some extract, but if you actually get a bag of anise and licorice root and even the carcinogenic sassafras, you know, just a little bit on occasion. You you steep it, right? You you can use root beer uses these really flavorful roots, you know? These are old-timey kind of cowboy um, beverages, which I think are, are really, really cool. And the reason is it takes us to today's show, and that is that the teachings of the, the Mormons with respect to the dietary practice, they come from a section of a book that they've got called the Doctrine and Covenants. So Doctrine and Covenants is more of the theological side of things. Um, the Book of Mormon is maybe what most outsiders are familiar with. But if you pick up the Book of Mormon, um, I, I, uh, I find it a little bit boring. I, I, and I ask you all, if especially if you're Mormon, you forgive me. I find a lot of my own holy texts boring, right? I mean, there's parts of the Hebrew Bible that I, I have a hard time getting through. I yep. like I like <laughs> when, getting when to I the theology. My, I'm going to read my Bible. It gets really hard in numbers. Yes. <laughs> so like, like, I'm, like, I'm going and yes. going and going. Like, ah, or, you know, all of the um, genealogy stuff. Like, yes. you know, so-and-so began. And I'm like, ah, I can't. It Mark, all becomes overwhelming. And, I, and I'm like, okay, I need to fast forward a few pages here. Mark Twain described the Book of Mormon as chloroform in print. So I'll let him be a pejorative and, and negative. I, I will say, friends, that um, with all love... Part of what's going on in the show is if we think something, we're going to say it, but we want to say it with as much love as possible. We've been self-critical. Uh, but the fact is that whenever it comes to religious bodies, we're going to evaluate from our perspective the things that are positive and negative without, without trying to attack any human beings. We're just saying this is the way religion works. 
you know. So I'm not going to kind of spare people's feelings, but again, with, with all love, I find the Book of Mormon kind of boring because um, I love reading people's books, right? So somebody said, hey, would you like a Book of Mormon? And I said, well, yes, please send me a free Book of Mormon because I, I would love to read it. I was kind of hoping more for kind of a sci-fi you know, what was Jesus doing with the, in, the Native Americans early on, you know? Mm -hmm. it, there just wasn't enough of that, but partly because, you know, it does have that, it patterns itself after some of the Old Testament narratives. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not really to be criticized as being more boring than the Old Testament, <laughs> but it's like picking up on parts of it, you know? Anyway, well, one, maybe a little more boring. And one thing for me is um, my parents used to be Mormon, yeah, and so how'd they get into that? So that you you were you were not born until after they left the Mormon, the Mormon church. church. So yeah, what but how, how did they get into that? So when my dad was in the army, he was stationed in Germany and they were desperately trying to find other folks they could connect with uh that also spoke English and uh some very, very, very nice Mormon folks came to their door and invited them to church and they were sold. These were wonderfully nice people. They gave them a sense of community and they really enjoyed, you know, that part of it. Once they got a little bit more involved, then my dad started to kind of question some of the beliefs and things like that. They were trying to like move them higher up and then that things got a little stranger for him. And I don't know all of the pieces and maybe at some point, I don't know, maybe we can maybe ask him a little bit, but, yeah. um, but I do know that, uh, so definitely by the time that, um, they came back to America, they weren't involved or at least not very long in the Mormon church, but every once in a while, all through, the years of growing up, I remember that there would be these, I don't know if it was annual or even more, but uh, elders would come and come and yes. talk to my parents and they would want to, you know, try, try to, to get them back, get them in back the into the church. Yes. And I, and I just remember these regular meetings of, you know, and I, my dad at the time started going to a Christian church, non-denominational evangelical church. And sort of was using it as an opportunity to try to witness to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he would mm -hmm. do these meetings and they mm -hmm. would kind of go mm -hmm. back and forth. And that was my experience with it. I didn't remember that. Um, I mean, but I didn't know you did that. Yeah. They, yeah. All the time, like two, two elders would always show up and, um, you know, usually in the evening time yes. and <laughs> there would be like at least an hour long discussion and they would both go on their yep. way. And eventually yep. I think I was probably in high school when my dad like finally said, we're done. Like, mm. <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere. You're not getting right, anywhere. Right. And this we're, this is kind of a waste of everybody's time. So anyway, but it would be interesting maybe to perhaps, you know, get a few thoughts from him. Yeah. Maybe even later today since yep. we're going to go. <laughs> See him for their them. anniversary. <laughs> their 51st wedding anniversary. So uh, the, the, pro the, the prohibited foods are pretty well known to folks, but there's some technicalities that make it interesting. Of course, wine, liquor, and excessive meat. Uh, tobacco, and hot drinks. These are things that are rejected in what's called the Word of Wisdom, which is the section of the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, you know, uh, that, that text that I mentioned. And what's interesting about it is the story goes that Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church, used to chew tobacco. A lot of dudes huh. did. You know, you'd have it, you know, um, 
you know, you is, like the tobacco must be banned now, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the time, it was kind of just like a nasty habit, and and you know, when I used to dip a skull. <laughs> Yeah. And I'd leave Ugh. spit around. Really, really not pleasant for the, the spouse <laughs> that doesn't chew tobacco. I, wait a minute. I just realized. You get a spittoon. I just realized because <laughs> you know how we do our road trips and sometimes you're finding yourself getting tired. I haven't used it in a long time. But you used to use that when when you were way younger. You Thanks used for to... reminding me. Next time I do a road trip. <laughs> you used to use that to keep you awake. Well, I used to do like 12-hour, 14-hour Oh, pushes. I know. I know. And, and it really helps. Yeah, you, that's like, what I was saying. You know, some I, truck drivers I, use meth. I'm, I'm not into that. When you that, mentioned so. <laughs> about the tobacco, you said, all of a sudden I went right back to a you know road trip. Because that was pretty much the, road, the only time you trips, would ever use that. Yes. but And then after the road trip, then I would be hooked on it for a few months. A little bit. And then... And then it was because when I was in Kentucky, we were at a rodeo and they gave me free cans of Skull. I'm like, Skull, what is this? And then, wee, <laughs> wee. Anyway. Anyway, it does. It is electrifying. Uh, in, in maybe not a good way, but he, but Joseph Smith and his buddies, when they were in church, they would spit the tobacco juice on the floor. Mm. You know, like there's a lot of things like smoking oh. inside of Denny's that, that now are smoking <laughs> on an airplane that we couldn't even conceive right. of. Even Spitting people that on who the smoke, floor? Like, that's oh. weird. I mean, you know, peanuts are one thing when you put peanuts yes. on the peanut floor shells. shells, you know, they could just sweep those up. Joseph Smith's oh, wife, uh, Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, Asked him to check with God on these healthy habits. So, like, hey, what, hey there, uh, prophet husband, why don't you check <laughs> on? Uh... Ask God about this. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, but the thing is, though, that part of it is that doesn't go away very quickly. And, and as, if I may narrow it just a little bit of this, there was a lot more leeway in the early days. But if I if I may, I just want to do a little bit of background on the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, just so that uh, the listeners are well. And I need it too. Yeah, because I don't familiar I don't know. with some of the things. Just a little bit. Um, and the reason is because, especially for outsiders, there's a lot of uh, there's difference between official uh, official original teaching and the current doctrine. There's a difference between Mormon folk teaching and lore and official teaching. And more importantly, there's a there's a difference in periods. There was the old temple centered Mormonism uh, of the past uh, versus a more contemporary LDS experience, which is which is going to emphasize more of the the kind of the local communities now because of the diaspora, right? People are not always near a temple. Though I should say, one time we were driving through uh, Utah and we were hearing an old-timer um, kind of chiding younger Mormons for moving to places for business that were not close enough to a temple. Right now where we stand, mm-hmm. there's a temple within bicycling distance. It's important for you know, hardcore Mormons to be a part of the temple. Now, this is important. If you're going to be engaged in life in the temple, then you have to be pretty strict about following these rules. Yeah. But if you're a normal, like if you're just an everyday Mormon, you're not going to get excommunicated or go to hell if you have coffee, if they catch you at Starbucks. And, and that's ex- precisely where my parents were. Like they didn't yes. want to switch into the the more the temple life, and, right? And go in the next all level. Of the, yeah, all of those pieces. What has always struck me is the, um, I guess, the the spikiness and the powerfulness of all of the of their buildings. I will say the aesthetic of the temples is kind of like uh, a little off putting. To me, it seems like a little bit like a like a new age kind of witchy cult. And we've thing. even been to the the one in in Salt Lake City. Yes, and it was quite grand. Interesting, short haired Jesus. 
<laughs> I think That's he was right. short haired Jesus, maybe beardless. I can't remember. Now it's just it's all coming back to me with the, some like bowls underneath a big bowl. It's uh, just like little flashes in my memory, but certainly certainly fascinating uh, area. And uh, definitely, if you drive through, if you drive through Salt Lake City for any reason, it's worth checking out. You know, yeah. I mean, even if you're not a fan of studying religious history, you do not get to as a non-Mormon go into the temple. Uh, that's uh, that's important to know. You can't just like you know roll no. in, but there will be there will be you know visitor center areas and so forth. But anyway, but there really is like an early period. There is a temple period, and then the the more recent period. But a lot of the stuff that outsiders think of is kind of the stuff that they latch onto because they find it weird. And then if you talk to an actual Mormon, they're they're not always going to have that be part of their experience. But officially, at least earlier on. Uh, just as an understanding of kind of the worldview, the spiritual worldview, humans start with a pre-mortal existence, which kind of makes sense. People people tend to resonate with this, where you're like you're like a little baby soul mm-hmm. in heaven with the heavenly Father, and then you are going through this veil of forgetfulness, kind of like the classical Greek concept of a lethe, where you are forgetting, but you still kind of like Plato have some intuitive knowledge. Then you are born onto the earth and you have this earthly life. And depending on how you live this earthly life, you're going to have a various possible outcomes in the, in the last age, right? In the final judgment. So after you die, you go to the spirit world and then you kind of wait there. And then there's the resurrection. Then there's a final judgment. And then at the final judgment, and this is important, um, you can go to essentially one of four places, and by the way, if you're Mormon, please feel free to write in or leave a voice message at protectyournoggin.org because we would love to be set straight and we'll uh, make any corrections. But at the very highest level, you've got the celestial kingdom. This is where you've been part of the temple life. You've uh, been sealed and married in the temple. And that's that's the best space. So it's kind of like three heavens. Then you've got the terrestrial kingdom. That's in the middle. And then the telestial, T-E-L-E-S-T-I-A-L, telestial kingdom. That's kind of at the bottom. But the idea is that you're not worried about just like what a lot of evangelicals think of as heaven or hell. So he's like, it's, it's not like a pass or fail. It's a, yeah. it's, it's graded. With- yeah, it's graded. And so like there's, the, it, so you're, you want to get to the higher levels, but this allows you to have Jack Mormons kind of still come into your picnic and you're not. You're not as high pressure um, that maybe certainly some Christian communities would experience. Like you're either just in or out 100%. There is something called outer darkness, which is kind of like hell, but it's not this medieval hell where you're getting tormented. So mm. it's kind of nice. There, it's So not, is it just being not, not inside one hell. of these other kingdoms? Yeah. Basically being kicked, ostracized kicked or out, something. Which I... I like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, if it takes I, down the I, pressure a little I, okay. bit here. I, you know, just please, there, there are, there are times when I'm thinking if, uh, in the afterlife, if I was just only, that, wait, by the way, that's the sound of me going to the outer darkness. That was weird. <laughs> but if I'm, if I'm only surrounded by only the Christian folks that I've ever met, <laughs> those are sometimes 
the people that I don't really want to hang out with too much. Sometimes. So maybe the celestial kingdom doesn't have as much like you know, you know, there's gambling because that's also I, I, against I really, the. I don't the need rules. to be judged by the the church lady my entire <laughs> eternity. You're you starting know? to sound pretty metal, baby. You're, you're sounding metal. I, I'd rather go to hell where ACDC is because uh, the music's better. Anyway, you're, just, you're you're jesting. All right. I'm yeah. But anyway, but that's that's kind of a nice part of it, so that you can understand that it's possible for the dietary laws to put you on the right track towards a higher order of the afterlife, but it's not like it's going to kick you out of the church. Also interesting thing, though I don't know where else to fit it in, everybody's interested in the temple garments, and I almost bought some, but I thought it was maybe inappropriate, yeah, cultural probably, appropriation. probably so. But they have the, you know, the, the sacred underwear. Uh, and All white outfits, basically, yes. that are like almost like long underwear, if I understand it correctly, right? Yes. It's a it's a reminder of their covenant. You know, it's kind of like, you know, with Jews or circumcision. So if, you, if you're wearing that, that's just a reminder of your special peoplehood, you mm. know. Uh, it's spiritual protection. And... And the hardcore... Do they uh, only wear that when they are in the temple, or are they supposed to wear it in everyday life? Well, it depends on how hardcore you are. If you want to be hardcore, it's only for the three S's that we, that you would remove it. Sex, showering, and sports. Wow. Three S's. Uh, but it's, you know, it's worn um, under the regular underwear. Anyway, I kind of like that. Like, you know, of all the things that I say, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to become Muslim because I want to have champagne on, a, on occasion, you Wait, know. so you wear your... Other underwear over, over it. it? Yes. So it's like a long underwear outfit that you wear. Yeah, it's above the, very often it'll be above the knees, like short sleeve uh, top and then a long sleeve bottom. But yeah. you're supposed to wear like, say, I mean, I don't know, forgive me, but like a bra and panties on top of this? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. If you need to. That's interesting. Um, I, you know, I think I would just go for that in jeans. You know, I don't know if that's permissible. But there's these, you know, every every religious group has its own little, you know, kind of practices. And then, of course, we're, we're focusing on the food. Um, now, one of the things that's interesting, though, is that what this means is that this, this pre-existent experience is that Jesus and Lucifer are siblings. They're like these other spirit entities. And that we are spirit entities, uh, all children of the heavenly Father Elohim, and then the the one part that's really uncomfortable for Lutheran history, I'm sorry, Mormon history, uh, is that the um, the difference between um, white people essentially and African Americans becomes complicated because uh, the idea is that the Jewish spirits sided with the Archangel Michael, um, African Americans or Africans were neutral in the battle uh, in heaven. Right between Lucifer mm-hmm. and uh, and Elohim, Heavenly Father, and so Black Mormons uh, are a thing. But early on, it was that was a little bit of a complication because the idea is that the reason that Africans were darker skinned is because they were cursed because of their role in a previous life. So mm-hmm. kind of you know not too far off from some aspects of the Hindu mm-hmm. uh, caste system, you know, in India. So, uh, but what's interesting about this is. You could you could point to that, but today, you know, that's a big one. What's another what's a bit what's another big kind of off putting teaching of the of the earlier Mormons that you might think of? What if you were gonna make fun of Mormons, if you were gonna be mean to them, you you might you might mention the, the well, racism. I mean part. I yeah, definitely the racism was a huge one for me. Um and yeah, their whole explaining away of the different races is extremely problematic. The other thing I guess would be um Joseph Smith and some of the words that he got and how he got them, and he oh yeah 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 like ma- <laughs> how he finds it <laughs> he finds the tablets and then you know I he, guess he has, has to recreate stones. it and all this stuff like it just like feels a little 
I don't know. Yes. Well, uh, that's off putting. That's definitely and uncomfortable. I'm like, it, the how you got the inspiration in the first place, I find highly problematic or suspect, or suspect yes. to to me, and so that has been very off putting for myself. So I don't know. Probably the reason you're not going for what I'm thinking of is polygamy, because uh. today we 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 know that that Mormons do not practice that, and they'd be excommunicated if they practiced it. There are groups within North America that are fundamentalist LDS, so FLDS, and other other sects within Mormonism that aren't part of the main operation out of Salt Lake City that still practice polygamy. So it does happen. There's that show, of course, famously Big Love. But there's also, I, I will link to this on the, the show, and that is there is a, uh, there is a, a, there are several groups of polygamous Mormons that moved down to Mexico yes. because Utah was originally part of Mexican territory after the um, Mexican-American War and the statehood of Utah, Utah, to become a state, the the U.S. didn't want them in if they practiced polygamy. That, and that, Mitt that was Romney's family came from... Relatives of, of Mitt Romney's family are actually down in... Um, in Mexico, yeah, and so there are. I will. I will link to a, a documentary about this. There are country music listening, Southern English sounding white Mormons with fifty caliber guns in their pickup truck, and they are Mexican citizens because they moved down there a long time ago so that they can continue to practice polygamy. When we used to go down to Mexico to build houses in high school, we would run into these Mormon, white Mormon communities that are, again, they live in Mexico. And the, and the gun part is because they have to defend themselves against, against the, the cartels. cartels. So right? yeah, there's like these kind of, you got the, you got the gangs and then you got the, uh, the Mormons. And then, and, and not too long ago, there was a whole group of them that were gunned down family with women and children in a, a minivan. Wow. So it was a pretty horrific uh, yeah. shooting. So that kind of stuff's going on, but it's, uh, it's the documentary is definitely worth watching. Definitely yeah. worth checking out. Yeah. I think advice, puts it out but the main thing is that uh that 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 the two things that are kind of embarrassing to mormon history i think are uh that idea that that africans are dark-skinned because they're cursed and then the other part is the uh is polygamy right which maybe is not as big of a deal that today as it was in the past but what's very interesting about it is the way that those things were uh those things were changed within the church so black mormons can be in the priesthood now after 1978. But what's interesting is because they didn't want to say that they were wrong in the past, um, if you think about all of the teachings, uh, most of the time when a, when a prophet, when, when an official teaching of the, of the church comes out, they will say, thus saith the Lord. They indicate that this is a prophecy and they don't use that for their backtracking on those two things. Mm. So it does kind of seem like, all right, they're not going to have the Lord contradict himself. So they don't say, thus saith the Lord. They will say, we are going to change our policy. Mm. But they never really officially backtrack and say that the old teaching was wrong. They're just saying that it is now advisable. God has told us mm. not to do this. Now, what's interesting about the Mormons, we think this is an old-timey religion, right? It's an old, it, it's like from the cowboy days. So for Americans, if you're listening from Europe, Americans think that the 19th century is ancient history. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. our uh, ancient Greece and Rome. Uh, but it's obviously not really that long ago. But it was at that time that Mormonism kind of is not unlike the nation of Islam 
or Scientology in that it's kind of a sci-fi religion. It's influenced by space uh, and spiritualism, 19th century stuff that all Americans were interested in. And so it's kind of the quintessential American religion. Well, and you, and you think about, too, the polygamy part, that allows the, like any of the males that are involved to end up having lots of babies all at one time, which would grow mm-hmm. the community as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, there's something about that that probably is almost like a survival thing for their communities to yes. increase in numbers as well. Yeah, that's certainly part of it. Um, by... Uh, by by the pressure that was put on the church by the federal government, they said, uh, you know, um, instead of thus saith the Lord, quote, to whom it may concern, a revelation was received. So in other words, God said, if you want to be a state, then then this is the way it goes. In 1904, then they had another statement that said, kind of essentially, we were serious. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> like, you really shouldn't do this. But gotcha. that was very hard for the group, right, to shift from these two things. But it's interesting... You know, well, and then you've are, if you've already gotten yourself into that sort of family situation, yes, I mean, how you have to pick wait, one of your wives? Maybe, yeah, I, and I am you, not. I am not recalling what they were supposed to do. Yeah, because I'm just yeah. saying that's complicated, yes. right? I mean, the what? Maybe the first one you married would be the one that you're supposed to I, stay I with and so. let the rest move on. I don't know, but you've got kids involved that are also your children, right? So that's probably really hard to undo. Interesting though, that it's precisely because of the Mormons that people in America think that the government has anything to say about marriage, right? Mm. I mean, when we're saying, oh, uh, can there be marriage equality? Can we let same-sex couples get married? Well, as a spiritual anarchist, even if you think that God doesn't want you to marry somebody of the same sex or to marry five people. Uh, when did the government get involved in saying who could marry whom, right? So this whole idea of family values, we, th- we think of this as kind of, you know, preserving American religious values about the family. Mm. You're like, well, which ones? And is the government really supposed to tell religious people what they should do? I don't think the government should tell anybody what they should do as long as there's consent. Well, I mean, so really your biggest Well, your consent biggest and safety, right? Yeah. So if you're concerned about the safety of other Yes. People, if you you look at the women who make their own clothes in the in the fundamentalist LDS church, they do break your heart a little bit. You know, I mean, that's So I think there's that again, there's it's that a different there's church a fine body. line there. there. So but right, right. So like the problem with polygamy is more of like the sex like trafficking kind of angle on it. And that's always been the case for a lot of these groups. But the, but my, again, though, my point is we say, what is the biblical view of marriage? You know, hey, we want America to follow the biblical view of marriage. Arguably, argu- not arguably, just straight up, while I have a problem with polygamy, not in, in, in terms of just like general people being free, but in terms of maybe people not being free. Okay, I'm uncomfortable with that aspect of it, especially when it's one dude and a bunch of ladies. Well, a... so then apparently it's okay for the, you know, it was okay for a time for the Playboy Bunny house to exist. Yes. <laughs> and as long as he's not marrying all of them, yeah, they can all live that's there. Pretty hippie. Well, yeah. like, that's kind of strange too, right? Right. right. But um, <laughs> anyway, I just. But the idea though, but the idea that they're not biblical, I mean, like the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible is filled with men after God's own heart having multiple wives. So the reason you don't is because in the New Testament, the pastoral epistles, um, Paul, uh, some argue pseudo-Paul, but uh, we'll say Paul, 
uh, says, hey, you know, if you're going to be an elder in the church, you should be um, a husband of one wife. But it doesn't say that nobody can have multiple wives really ever in the Bible. So if you really want to stick to it, then having, uh, having multiple sexual partners within marriage is perfectly acceptable. Maybe you can have a harem like uh, Solomon. My point being, if you're, a, if you're a conservative Christian, you know, you know uh, ch- check yourself a little bit on what biblical family values means because it's not exactly like what the 1950s ideal uh, tended to look like. I digress. In any case... Um, Go back to just a little bit to Joseph Smith so you can kind of yeah. get where these dietary laws come from and, and then how they became bigger. Yeah, yeah we've gotten on. No, it's all right. We, it's what we time. do. And, yeah. uh, dear listener, thank you for hanging with us. Joseph Smith uh, dates 1805 to 1844. He was kind of a treasure hunter. They were called money diggers. And so he was really kind of interested in it, uh, in finding these lost treasures. I would be right up there with him. Like if I had a buddy who was saying, hey, we're going to find these lost, you know, uh, runes. In, in Minnesota that were left by Vikings. I'm with this guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a sucker for that That'd kind of cool. thing. That'd be cool. I mean... Um, so he finds himself some seer stones that he puts into a hat. He's visited... Uh, well, this is... I'm jumping around. He was visited by the angel Mar- Moroni in 1823 who tells him where to find these golden plates, but that he he then reads them and translates them with the Urim and the Thummim. He, of course, he can't show the plates to anyone because of the angel's command. He publishes the transcripts, and this becomes the Book of Mormon, and he establishes himself, at least at the time, as the sole prophet. He's an alleged descendant of Jesus. I don't know if you knew that, hmm. um, which is interesting because they are one of the few groups that, that say, you know, no, there's nothing wrong with being married, Jesus being married. Um, uh, but he, he himself and his dad were part of a social movement called the, the Cunning Men of England. So in England, there were these cunning men, you know, the kind of people that would do dowsing rods. They were esoteric, um, masonry, mm. some of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. And now, now, would you say that those are influenced by magic? Well, I think it's, you know, it's like secret societies and the desire to return to some ancient um, findings, right? Okay. And so, like, it's really part of that 19th century scientific, you know, like, the, imagine, like, this idea of, like, it's kind of steampunk. It's it's scientific, but it's old-timey at the same time. Mm. That 19th century, you know, mm. dirigible, like I said, look up steampunk. It, it kind of has that vibe, and we think it's old, but they saw themselves as being kind of in this new world that was discovering a lot of stuff. In the Erie Canal, there was a rumor at the time when Joseph Smith was on the scene that um, there was a, a copper plate with Indian writing found on it. So they were digging up the Erie Canal. And so it seems like very often Joseph Smith seemed to have drawn from news stories that were fascinating about adventures and wild things discovered. And um, and he kind of incorporates this into the mythology of the Mormon church. Um, but he believed that the promised land was in Missouri. And so do Lutherans. Hmm. <laughs> kind of <kidding. laughs> um, but when he stopped in Ohio, he was beaten, tarred and feathered, and uh, kind of abused by disgruntled ex-Mormons that thought maybe he had uh, kind of screwed him over. Hmm. And uh, there there was a lot of violence at the time in the, in the 19th century. Violence between the LDS folks and non-LDS folks led to violent conflict, violent conflict in 1838 in Missouri. And in one sense here, again, the, the, the Mormons kind of turn out to be the good guys because they were anti-slaveholding. So even though they had a, a racist theory, you got to remember there were similar kind of racist ideas 
in, in like Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the superiority of the white race was something that many white abolitionists actually believed in in the Northeast. And so we, we don't necessarily want to say that we should hold that against them because in terms of like Lutherans, there were a lot of Missouri Lutherans that thought slaveholding was okay. Mm. So um, a lot of Presbyterians that thought the same thing. So the Mormons were against slaveholding. And just like John Brown, um, anybody who was against slaveholding was a threat in some of these states that wanted to establish whether they were going to be free or slave states. Did they say why they were against slaveholding? Well, a lot of these early church folks uh, were part of a kind of a, a sincere moralism. Mm. So part of the not drinking and the abolition, they go hand in hand all the way up into the early 20th century. The prohibition movement is part of American evangelicalism, American Christianity generally, and we'll include the Mormons in this case. Um, if you converted to Christianity, if you had a conversion experience in the early 20th century, and you gave your heart to Jesus, they'd say, good, now you're a Christian. Do you want to sign up to get the women the right to vote? Do you want to sign up for the abolition of slavery? Or do you want to sign up to oppose alcohol? And these were all seen as social ills in mm. society, um, late 19th century, early 20th century. So it's, it does seem to fit in with that. Um, I that just didn't know if it connected with their racism and not winning. Um, no, just people were racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the white people were racist. And so, no, I mean, I think that's what I'm saying, though, that they were against. No, it was, it was they were against slavery because they thought it was a bad thing to do. Not because they feared black people. No, not really. No, um, not to my knowledge. Now, uh, they get exiled back to Illinois, and uh, that's where they bought a town called Nauvoo, N-A-U-V-O-O. So that's where Mormons start. But they don't end up there because in Nauvoo, Smith excommunicated some of the saints and then proposed to their wives. So this is where it kind of gets weird, like the Munster Rebellion or the Branch Davidians, where the the religious leader is starting to take people's wives. This comes like, up in the FLDS, too, where they excommunicate people. Or David you, and Bathsheba. You Definitely, right? You find somebody that you want to marry their wives, and then all you got to do is find them having some coffee or, you know, you, you, you mm-hmm. do something to kick them out. And then he comes up with this idea that you should seal in the Mormon temple. The early temple isn't looking like the temples we have today. It kind of just looks like a church. So, But you want to go in and seal so that you would be able to uh, kind of keep up with the vastly expanding universe. So you're going to become a god of a new planet. You need to seal as many people as possible. So you want to get married. You want to have children. And you also baptize the dead, which Hmm. becomes kind of a controversial thing, although... What's interesting is because of this, genealogy is really important to Mormons. They have contributed a great deal to genealogies, mm. you know, online and, and so forth. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Joseph Smith, where he gets into trouble is he announces his candidacy for the, president of the presidency of the United States. And he sets up a secret government and he crowns himself king of the kingdom of God. So now he's doing the, you know, he's doing the polygamy thing. He's got the kingdom of God thing. And so because of the king part, <laughs> kind of like Jesus, I will say, he gets charged with treason against the state of Illinois. He's like a terrorist mm. considered, and he's imprisoned. And when he's imprisoned, this is where he, he ends up dying because a mob with blackened faces, they all dressed up as like black people so mm-hmm. they wouldn't get identified. Yikes. They stormed the jail. They killed Hiram Smith. And then, um, uh, who was, uh, uh, and then, and then, uh, 
Joseph Smith is, is shot falling out of a window. So they, uh, they have now a martyr on their hands. This, though, this Joseph Smith is the first early part. Then it kind of falls into the hands of Brigham Young. Brigham Young takes everybody out to Salt Lake City, and the religion kind of changes. And a lot of the things we think of today as Mormon really are the work and the influence of Brigham Young, who really heightened the importance of polygamy um, and, uh, and seems to be a little bit more racist. It, it's interesting because the polygamy part of it, I would understand the attractiveness of community in that whole thing. Um, yes. In that you have multiple people looking after and supporting these children, right? And, and helping each other. Uh, yes. And I don't know, there's sometimes like I, I think that uh, I'm not trying to be an advocate for it whatsoever. Right. I am just simply saying I understand um, you know, some of the aspect of, of helping people get by, especially if they're going to be then confronted by other pieces of society or whatever right, else right. that they can help each other. Anyway, it's just, well, no, that's, that's not a minor issue. That's why I set all this up mm -hmm. because when you think about the food stuff, mm -hmm. it is what all religions have in many ways as a, as a way to build community and identity. We talked in an earlier yeah. show about why the prohibition against pork in Islam and Judaism serves to solidify the group cohesiveness. We eat together in the same place. We have a shared diet, but we're also peculiar, and our peculiarity means we're persecuted, but that persecution creates a stronger bond between me and other adherents. Yeah, yeah. And in a certain sense, a religion can pick whatever it wants. Right, right. Right. It can all serve as that. Yeah. Interesting. There is a magical element to it. I, I don't want to forget. Uh, I was talking about the uh, baptism. If you go into the temple in, in, uh, in, uh, in Salt Lake city, they have like a big font. And then there's all these, uh, these cows or bulls kind of carrying the font. Mm. But what they do is they will be baptized uh, for the dead. And so if you can identify your ancestors that died before Mormonism even existed, then you can bring them into the church. So a uh, lot of people... the genealogy part. Yeah. Like if you're a Christian missionary and you're going and you're, and you're going to say, hey, to like a Cherokee person, you know, your great, great, great grandfather that you revere is burning in hell. Yeah. That's kind of bleak. So it makes it hard for you to want to join that religion. But if you could say, hey, don't worry, if you join the Mormon church, you can get baptized and your great-great-grandfather, if you know his name, can be brought into the fold as well. This is actually related to an older European tradition. We call it the Hermetic tradition from Hermes Trismegistus. It's esoteric, it's magical, it's wizardy. So if they're baptized, then what... I guess, do you know what stage they go into? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. I'm you assuming you can get them, the lowest maybe you can get them out of the outer darkness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was just curious. I don't know. I wish I knew. Um, and if you hate, if you know, write us in, uh, write into us. But uh, there's a guy named John Dee who was around during the time of Elizabeth I in the 16th century who was bringing back magic into the English world. And I think that kind of carries forward. It's just a few hundred years later. That that interest in Christian wizardry and esotericism does contribute to the ethos and the and the kind of the vibe of the Mormons, which is what makes it kind of fun. You know, you got secret handshakes, you get symbolism. Once again, community building, right? A lot more fun. Yeah, it's like if you're interested in the Masons, 
And there's a lot of Masonic imagery if you travel around the, uh, like if you see the temple, there's like a, a pentagram, but it's not a satanic pentagram. It is uh, right side up, I think. And it's related to those esoteric uh, traditions from the Masons, you know, and uh, secret societies. And so secret societies are fun because of their unique stuff. But the key is John D and magic in general you need to know the name, the true name of a thing in order to have power over it. Hmm. So you may be the, the fantasy uh, work of Aragon. That might make sense to some people. But ultimately... <sighs> you know is, is it, no, but it just reminds me of how... That makes a lot of sense. Like there's sometimes it, um, with certain groups, they don't allow you to know their true, your true name. They always use a... a Specifically a, the Romani. That, okay. AKA gypsies. We okay. talked about them briefly last that's, time. Right? So that's what it was. But yeah. If you know somebody, you so a, a a Romani person will not let anybody know their secret name. That's their true name. Because if you know their secret name, you have power over them. This tends to be connected with the idea that you could talk about Adonai, the Lord, but if you use God's proper name Yahweh, that secret true name carries a ton of power hmm. and so if you want to have a curse or a spell or you want to damn or curse using the name of god that's where the powerful magic comes but the point being the names are really important which is why a lot of my mormon friends had names that sounded like names but they were a little bit different so i had a crush on a gal that i played chess with named kimra but you're not allowed to date until you're 16 so we just played chess and uh but kimra sounds like so she was a, mormon. a name she was mormon yeah. yep um, but, but it's not a name, not a name that really existed. And the idea is by people having unique names, mm. you can keep the magic for them. And if you're looking at baptisms and stuff, um, that, that, that uniqueness is important gotcha. in the clans. Anyway, um, do you remember how, what did you think about, uh, you know, of course there's the famous Mormon episode of the, uh, <laughs> South, Park. South Park, which is very biting, but also, I think reveals something important, and that is that Mormons are typically pretty nice. Yes. You know, there's a lot of a holes in this country, and, and uh, Mormons are nice. Like, you know, even if you're not a Mormon, you might want it. Like, a, who's the guy that recluse in Vegas? Um, he, he he made the Spruce Goose. He was an aviator. He I, was I uh, 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 he was and he had like the long fingernails at the end of his life. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Thank you, Howard Hughes. When he was working in Vegas, all the people that he hired were Mormons because he thought they're not going to be addicts people, yeah. that are gambling and, and embezzling. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's what the attraction was for my folks, right? Yeah. It just, and then, Good like, people. you just think of, like, South Park, they constantly showed how the Mormon family was the ones that had the board game night. They were, like, the... the What you think of when you, when you think of, like, having family hangout time as a child and that everybody's engaged and having fun together yes that this is like the a dream family to be a part of is sort right. of the mormon family yes like right like so many of us that had no family they're, they're playing board with, games they're on present Wednesday. with their kids they're you know like yes they, so they're just nice people but do you remember we went then we went to the Seagerstrom center and we saw the yes. book of mormon yes we did which is Kind of offensive, but it was interesting that the, the, the Mormons have a good spirit about it. They actually took out ads in the playbill to say, now you've heard like the joke about it, but and now I come really, see it. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was heavy. Worth, it was worth seeing. It also is heavy because if you're a religious person of any kind, yeah. it'll challenge your own uncritical nature. You know, like we can make fun of Mormons for having like unique beliefs, but the only thing that's different is that their beliefs are a couple hundred years old. 
And a lot of other people have strange beliefs that go back a couple thousand years, you know, yeah. uh, practices. And But what's really heavy to me about it was it, it highlights two missionaries. So, you know, mi- Mormons that go on a couple year missionary uh, experience after after uh, high school. Yeah, I think after you're, when you're 18. And after um, 18. that helps you to be kind of bought in and you're learning your faith when you're sharing your faith. But what happens when and you're you question- going and you're going outside of your home area, yes. right? To some other foreign place of some yes. kind. I mean, some are more foreign than others. Um, but you're, you know, you're, that's a, that's a big deal. You mm-hmm. know, you're what, just newly out of high school, right? You're 18. Yes. Um, and that's, you yeah. just became an adult and now you're gonna, you know, go on this whole experience with one other person, essentially yeah. working together. But this, but this musical, it kind of explores what happens when you feel like you're not living up to the expectations. Yeah. If you have doubts, mm-hmm. if it's not easy for you to abide by uh, the, the, the teachings and the practices, and especially when you're hanging out in some places, not drinking is harder than other places. Yeah. If you're in England, the drinking culture is just like, that's what you're doing. You're going to the pub or something, you know, and it's... And well, it's, and your family's no longer holding you accountable in the same yeah. way, right? So, you know, I mean, other than their messages back to them, but you're not surrounded by all the people that know you, right? Yes. You put on different clothes and go out and nobody would know who you were necessarily in this foreign place. I should, I should uh, just to kind of make sure I finish up on my, my silly lesson on, on Mormonism. Um, historically in the early days, early Christians, their hymns and their Bible texts and the things they emphasized sound very much like uh, seventh day Adventist Christianity or restorationist Christianity. It, it doesn't seem that different. This is before uh, Brigham Young. So, for instance, uh, in Third Nephi, which is one of the texts, uh, Jesus says, quote, The Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me, and whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. That sounds very much like a 19th century evangelical right. talking point. Um, the well, Old Testament John is- 3.16 comes to mind from the language and... Anyway, yes, no, right. that's that's exactly what you you're hearing there. Uh, but the, the the difference is that the Old Testament is kind of more important in early America for almost all religious groups. So you start to see names like Abel and Moses and Abner, Mordecai, Josiah. That's not just names that you'll see for early Mormons. It's names that you'll see for pioneer Christians of of all stripes. Um, and so. In many ways, Joseph Smith early on was similar to other groups in that he's, he's shifting towards Jesus. And the Book of Mormon is kind of interesting. It's just saying America also has something to connect to Jesus. Mm. So really what he does is he's just kind of, he's cre- he creates the sequel, the Book mm. of Mormon, to say Americans have a continuation of the story. And even the Native Americans are part of this story because the lost tribes of Israel were in North America and Jesus shows up. But so in many ways, the scandal of the book of Mormon was more the existence of the book than its content. Mm. And the, the purpose of the book was not to displace the Bible, but almost to prove its truth and relevance within the new world. Mm. Um, so, but the problem is another problem um, that if you then shift over to Salt Lake City, that's where there's a lot of borrowing from masonry, um, a, a more of a an emphasis not on Jesus, but on going to the temple. Hmm. But then more recently, especially with the rise of evangelicalism, and I think in many ways the besieged nature of, of Mormons um, with respect to polygamy and so forth, 
um, they start to move towards rebranding. So today, if you drive by a Mormon church, it says the Church of Jesus Christ. Of the Latter-day Jesus Christ Saints. part is big, and mm-hmm. then of Latter-day Saints, right. or the Restored Church of Jesus Christ. And so often the Mormons don't want to emphasize this, um, the, the, the LDS or Mormon language. They want to say they're the Church of Jesus Christ, for goodness sake. But there's been a lot of the time when when evangelicals and Mormons have been hanging out together so that to be a liberal Mormon is sometimes to talk too much about Jesus. Mm. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. All right, now let's get to the food, right? Now, in the 1830s, as I was saying that there was this kind of uh, development over time, in the 1830s, the idea was moderation rather than pure abstinence. Mm. So you can see in the, the packing list. Which is healthy for everybody. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> moderation yeah. in anything, right? I mean, I think that that's when a buildup of all sorts of different things causes different health issues. Right. So, sorry. Yeah, no, it's totally true. And so in they make this westward trek in 1846. Uh, but you know, Stacey, what, what do we always do if we're going to tell the students we're going to go camping in Joshua Tree? What what are we going to give them? There's a piece of paper that we're going to give them. Besides a form that signs off that they're not going to sue us. I don't know. Maybe we'll email know. them a list. A packing list? Packing list. Okay. Because you don't want them to screw up. You don't want to like all of a sudden be there and you're, you know. Sure. You don't have your medicine. Right. In the packing list of 1846, they include coffee, tea, and even alcohol. Mm. Now, what do you need if you're if you're hanging out on the on the long trek across you know the the Americas? Well, I I'll would like some whiskey for like painkiller. I might need some caffeine if you have to keep moving and you need a little energy boost. Yes, but these are things that you're going to include in the mix. Um, and then early on, interestingly, wine was used for the sacrament at Sunday meetings and uh, even at dedication celebrations for the temples in Kirtland, Ohio. And then the one I mentioned at Nauvoo, Illinois. So it's just important to see that that wasn't always there. And also it's interesting, Brigham Young himself chewed a, a tobacco for most of his adult life. So you're saying, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I didn't mention him because it was, it was Joseph Smith oh, that did Brigham Young himself. Gotcha. Um, he, he acquired it, you know, before he converted to Mormonism and he tried to give it up. Um, but he ultimately, and he, and he quit it for a period of time, but it still was like an addiction, right? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that people are people, you know. And I don't think this is, a, this is not a matter so much of hypocrisy. It has more to do with things that happen to all America. Oh, and what's healthy for you? What's not, yes. right? I mean, if you could avoid the tobacco, I think that's a very healthy life decision. <laughs> yes. yeah. Obviously, I mean, there's all sorts of mouth cancers you get from chewing tobacco yes. and all that stuff, right? So yes. Uh, there was uh, uh, some S- Swiss immigrants that came to northern uh, or to southern Utah, and they started the uh, Dixie Wine Mission. And their vineyards were so successful that they sold wine all over the western United States in the late 19th century. Um, so there was actually Mormon wine hmm. early on, but um, but Brigham Young just did did not tolerate people being drunk, mm. being vulgar, domestic violence. Um, all of this was associated with drunkenness. So by the time you get to, um, uh, you know, kind of the prohibition era, one of the things that's happening is it's industrialization. Hmm. Okay, this is the key. If you're a hard farmer, a hardworking farmer, then having a little bit of wine at night uh, to kind of calm down is uh, reasonable. But the idea that you're going to go to the factory and Ooh, you're... Working you're, machinery. Yeah, you're working machine. Well, no, no, it's not then. Oh. But your life is so dreary 
that you, on your way home Stop in the, the cities, bar. yeah, they're displaced from community. You're not living in the village. It's not like what you're having in a picnic. Mm-hmm. You stop at the bar, you have some whiskey, you come home, and you're so depressed about life that you're, you're, you're abusive, you're not present. Just like in the 80s, people were worried about, you know, crack cocaine or whatever uh, in the cities. All of Americans... But certainly religious people were, were worried about the health problem. It was a massive health problem of drunkenness. Alcohol was the crack of its time. And uh, this goes hand in hand with the bleak nature of the Industrial Revolution and the robber barons in America. So, I mean, as much as we can say, oh, I, like these cats aren't like, you know, woke, um, really, this is what we care about. I think our problem is... The minute that you tell me for religious reasons I'm not allowed to do those things, I'm going to want to do those things if it's not my choice. Yeah, well, and you think about it too. We have the luxury of accessing the internet <laughs> and getting information for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And as we keep, you know, learning things or whatever, you know, we learn that tobacco causes cancer and some of that stuff, right? Right. Yeah, they didn't know. And they so just thought it was kind of gross. Talk about the, yeah, like a packing list, though. Like there might be some people that realize, okay, this isn't good for the people. We should let the people know, right? Right. right. For whatever reasons, you know. But in 1906, the uh, the wine is replaced with water for communion, and then 15 years after that, the uh, LDS. Uh, church makes a strict adherence to the word of wisdom, that section of the doctrine and covenants, a requirement for admittance to the temple with no exceptions there. But but what does it provide? The first thing is it, it provides uh, a way to build identity, like we said, right? So by everybody having those similar practices, they will congregate in the same areas. They will have to work together to have their own restaurant, you know, menu items or whatever. Um, but it also, when they aligned with the temperance movement, which led, by the way, to actual prohibition in America. So all of America bans alcohol. It's not just the Mormons. And so the Mormons just kind of stick with it, mm. right? But everybody goes that route, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Welch's grape juice gets invented so you can mm-hmm. have kind of a, an alternative to communion wine. Some hardcore Mormons don't like having non-alcoholic beer or wine or even decaf coffee because it gives the wrong impression. Mm. But some modern Mormons tend to make that part of the controversy. That and, uh, as uh, as I think probably most young Mormons would, would, would think about, cola. Mm. The question is, can a Mormon have cola? Because the original ideas don't have a hot drink, right? But what, of course, they meant was coffee and tea that are addictive, right? Right. Um, but the idea of a zero tolerance policy for addictions is not a bad thing. Right, right. You know? um, other practices include monthly fasting, uh, one that we love too, stockpiling supl- supplies. Mm. So if you've got a Mormon family nearby, they are supposed to have like a large supply. This is something that comes out of their frontier experience, but right. also times of persecution. Survival. Not really an apocalyptic cult here, but but they're concerned about the apocalypse for the same reasons I'm concerned about the apocalypse. It's ingrained in their, their history. Yes. In 2012, the LDS Church clarifies the uh, explicit statement related to the hot drinks. Um, they, uh, they said that the... <laughs> The, the church does not officially prohibit caffeine, but only drinks that were actually hot, which means that uh, you could maybe have Coke and Pepsi. I think this has to do, 
I could be wrong. In 2012, I think this has to do with some of their investments being <laughs> yeah. related to, to holdings Co- of Coca. Coke, Coke and Pepsi, big, uh, big money. I mean, these are some of the biggest, you know, um, commodities. Well, you know? and you went from what root beer, right? Yes. I mean, when did root beer come into the mix? Well, root beer, I was saying that's the old, that's the old timey stuff. That's what I love right. about it. So I you're kind in of the, love you're their... kind of in the soda world when you have the root beer piece. I had right? a f- yes. Well, yeah, you'll, you, so at least it's not booze, right? But I, I just loved, I'm going to, I'm so excited about when I was researching this stuff today, Stacey, I realized I want to, I want to make my own root beer. Maybe we'll share some with the students with the dry ice mm. and real roots. And, well, and, and, and I'll I, say I want to make like old timey sarsaparilla. You know, every, every once in a while we go to some of these, um, you know, we've, in the past, we've gone to these like beer festivals, and stuff, especially in Colorado, right? When mm-hmm. we were living there. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things was also to try the root beer, the craft, you know, mm-hmm. brewed mm-hmm. root beers that they, that often that these people will do too. Yes. Yes. They're like, there's like a, such a, a deeper flavor yes. to yeah, it. Yes. Soda doesn't have to be crap. Than, <laughs> than what I find in my, you know, my A&Ws, but yes. anyway. Or pop. But my favorite soda, Stacey, do you know what my favorite soda is? <sighs> um, I don't. It's the Rastafarian loving. Oh yeah, 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 ting. yeah. yeah ting. ting is that's a recent one that well, you yes, discovered. But I, so really, I was just trying to think in the past because yes, you're not a very big soda. I drinker. don't like soda, but I do like ting. Ting is made from a really wonderful flavored grapefruit type fruit. It's grapefruit basically, but so good you can just kind of peel it open. And uh, you know, it was really good. They love themselves some juice, uh, the Rastafarians. <laughs> Fruit juice. So when I was at, uh, I was at a Rasta, uh, Rasta uh, restaurant up in Portland, I noticed that they had some ting, so I bought it. And uh, now, Stacy, tomorrow or maybe not tomorrow, but the next day, you will see a couple cases of ting coming in. Um, I want to put that in the refrigerator. Uh, it tastes so good because it's not just the real sugar, but the real fruit. You should it, probably you put know? a little link to Ting in case anybody. Oh, I'm going to put a link to Ting, try. friends. You're going to love this. It's not cheap, but it is. It, it well, is it's still it. cheaper than buying it at any of the places, right? If you uh, buy a whole case of it or something. But here's the thing: if you go to if you go to uh, Salt Lake City, one of the things that I mean, I think we noticed when we were visiting our friends the Andersons mm-hmm. was. Um, was all of the sugary places. Even our, our friends that used to be Mormons, so the Andersons used to be Mormons, but now they're Lutherans. Or and or say Dave did in his family, right? Was it was it did he get his kids involved in it? I didn't I don't think so, right? No, no, I don't think so. Just his, no, I think his the family he grew up with and himself, right? His, yes. That's what I was just brother, trying to clarify yes. because I met Dave at Oxford when, and we used when to we hang knew out. them, yes. their family only he had had the, they were the past Lutherans. The, yes. Yeah, he had had the past connected. But because their family and neighbors are yeah. Mormons, they too have picked up an addiction. And you know what the addiction is, baby? You said sweet things. Yes. So ice cream, ice cream, the dipping dots kind of stuff like everywhere is, is this. But the thing that is and this is kind of where I this is where I want to close, at least the part I I've prepared and things I'm thinking about uh, is with dirty soda. Mm. Dirty soda, and I think, friends, this is the this is the punchline for all of you who are religious or not religious and thinking about food. There's a way in which we go to addictions; we just change our addictions. So, mm. uh, well, and, and sugar can be its own thing. Well, sugar is its own thing. So it, it releases the dopamine. So it 
it is this thing where there are a lot of Mormon kids that will not be able to get through the day if they don't get their double fix. Like, we can't get through a day without coffee, right? Even mm-hmm. our kids, like, we got to get the coffee, right? Mm-hmm. They will get up in the morning and they'll make sure they, they hit some dirty soda. What it, is dirty soda? I'll tell you in a second. And then they'll hit it again later when they have their crash. Mm. So it's just kind of like the coffee thing, but now it's sugar. And as I knew growing up, I'm a, I'm a very hyperactive person now. But when I was a kid, if you gave me some sugar, and I know there's some doctors that say, no, that doesn't happen. I don't know what they're talking about. If I had Tang, I would be uncontrollably insane when I was a kid. <laughs> and probably to some extent, you know, today. Um, but in any case, dirty soda. Here's here's one one angle on it. I'll link to it. Um, there's a couple like big you know names in in Utah, Swig and Sodalicious that uh, that are going to hustle this product, which sounds fun. Although I think Stacy, you would hate it. Okay, I'm going to tell you why you'd hate it. You take 44 ounces, for instance, of Sprite. Okay. Okay. You know how we used to, when we were kids, you'd, 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 you'd go and you'd make your own soda where you put a bunch yep, of different yep, flavors yep, together, yep, maybe yep. You, you mix them up. What else are you going to do when you're, when you're a Christian kid and you don't drink, right? Yeah. You're making the, the fun sodas. I remember when we were kids, we used to go out and we'd get like the Shirley Temple type stuff or you'd get mm-hmm. chocolate soda. Well, and the best thing is when like fast food places stopped just giving you your sodas and then give you access to the soda yes. machine so you could make your own concoction. Make your own concoction. kind of ginger ale with a <laughs> right? cola. And anyway, so, so you take 40 ounces of Sprite, throw in some coconut creamer, a healthy dose of watermelon, strawberry, coconut, Torani syrup, you know, the syrups that you've got yep, for the yep, coffee shops. Yep. And uh, there you go. It is this blast. I would not like that at all. You hate sweetness. Uh, and it's just a blast of sugar, but it, it will, boink, it'll, it'll perk you up just the way other things can, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not speed, it's not caffeine, it's not cocaine, it's sugar, but it gives you a boost, doesn't it? And so we find a way, and this is, I guess, the punchline for me, is that you want to be sane about whatever it is, because if you do things in a legalistic way, you'll just find a way to be unhealthy somewhere else. Right, right. You know, uh, some and Mormon it is kids getting uh, drunk on Benadryl. It is know? interesting that what is it about our humanness, though, that we do look for these altering substances, <laughs> you know, yes. that, that for some reason, like, it just, there's a, a real draw to it, right? Yeah. It seems like no matter what, it, we will find whatever this is, <laughs> um, as you said. You know, that's the human condition. But I, it is curious as to that what necessarily attracts us to that. All I, oh, I, I should mention one thing about weed. The, uh, the, the LDS church has not been a fan of weed since 1915, but it's not really something that was emphasized. So kind of like in Islam, it's if you don't think of it as an intoxicating substance, but as a medicine like CBD and stuff, that's become a way to kind of get past some of that stuff. And I think probably in a arguably pretty healthy way. Um, uh, so in, uh, in 1971, there was a, there was a strong effort in Utah um, to decriminalize it. Mm. Right. And, the idea is that Mormon members kind of want to handle matters within their church and within their family. So I'm kind of, as a little footnote, kind of proud of, of the Mormons back in the 70s of saying, if you want to use this natural product, not recreationally, but medicinally, they were ahead of the curve. Mm. Because, and this is what I love about them. There's a, there's a few, th- you know, there's things I would definitely not want to have in my own life with, with the, 
you know, I wouldn't want to be a Mormon in that way. But I like their kind of anarchist flow in the sense that they set their own agenda. And I think as a spiritual anarchist, a Jesus anarchist, the idea that the state should tell them how to run their families in marriage is generally something I don't like. The idea that the state is responsible for putting some Mormon kid in jail who's got depression that, that finds that maybe smoking weed helped them to deal with things in a way that was healthier than getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Why should they be thrown in jail? So way back in the 70s, the Mormons were ahead of the curve, I think, on the decriminalization for reasons of freedom. Yeah. So, uh, hey, thanks there, you know. <laughs> uh, toke one up. Uh, they're Mormons only, not if it's, uh, not if it's a, uh, uh, an intoxicating thing, but a medical thing. I have another question for you. Yes. On a different note. Uh, we mentioned root beer, right? Yes. Uh, and we mentioned their love of sweet things. Yes. Did they have any connection with inventing the root beer float? Or where did the root beer float come from? I don't know where the root beer float comes from. That would be an interesting thing to research for next time. I will say that I have read many accounts of people making the root beer float kind of a sacrament of dating in the Mormon world. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you, what are you going to do for happy hour? Gotcha. Root beer float's a good way to go. And you would like that, I think. That You could go for I, a root beer float. I definitely enjoy a root yeah. beer float. Absolutely. Just not the dirty soda. <laughs> Although, no. next time I'm in Utah, I'm going to get me a dirty soda. I'm going to pound it and see what it does to my brain. No, and I have one other question slash observation or whatever, yeah. but I'm curious. So, mention the mind-altering substances or like the fact that like with sugar... Um, inebriating delirium so and it's probably i mean probably the real answer is a combination of two things but um you know is it just this desire in humanity to have fun so to speak or have Mm -hmm. um something that's going to alter our consciousness or is it that the lifestyles that we are supposed to keep up with in modern day era Uh, require stimulation in order to keep us going because it can be exhausting. There is so much that just drains us. Right. And we work ourselves, you know, that we almost need something to give us a little kick to keep us going. It could be a combination of both. I'm sure it has to be a combination of of both, but it's kind of, you know, the sad part would be when you need that boost to keep going, to keep up with a certain lifestyle that, that, then we also can get shamed for some of these. Let's things. tease this for a, let's tease this just for a moment. Then, um, Molech, Mammon, the system that we seek to dismantle mm-hmm. uh, in a loving, nonviolent way, mm-hmm. um, is something that is fueled by these substances to keep you as a good worker. Right. If you're in a cubicle, coffee's good for you. Right. You have if to you keep need going. to have a boring existence, coffee is good for you. If then when you get back and you're miserable about your lack of fulfillment, drinking helps. Um, this is why cigarettes, caffeine, and alcohol work really nicely in the uh, industrialized world. And, to keep you going. Uh, keep and, you stimulated. And marijuana hasn't, right? Because right. that makes that you kind of drop out of right. productivity. A little more tired, a little bit lazier. If you're hanging out, if you're hanging out with your friends dancing or chill. and listening I'll to say music. This. You're not... You're not as in, you're not as intense. You're you're not going to be like reading all of the manuals and right. <laughs> filling out your no. reports. <laughs> you no. know that kind of thing. But you're also not going to be desirous yeah. of being part of the system. Right. So I mean, I think in many ways the war on drugs was really a war on a uh, a way of life that wanted to drop out of 
the international wars the and status, the rat race. Yeah, the 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 system. I think that's definitely true. We should do the, do a show on this later on too. This is definitely true with uh, the psychological experiments at Harvard with LSD when uh, Timothy Leary and the guy who became Ram Dass gave it to an undergrad and the undergrad said, hey, mom and dad, I don't think I want to work for the plastic company anymore. They said, what did they give you? Uh-oh. And they said LSD. And yeah. so that was We don't that want was that. Kind of part yeah. Of it. yeah. Interesting. Well, we definitely, before we conclude this season, we definitely have to do a show on the war on drugs. We'll definitely get there. Anyway, I would say, if nothing else, it makes me even think of, you know, my own habits, my own, yeah. the own things. And then, you are know. Are they for you or are they for the man? Right, exactly. And, you know, it, it, it was interesting that when we took that longer break over the summer. Yes. That I felt like I was sometimes making coffee out of habit. Yeah. And even. But we didn't need it. And even this morning, <laughs> I was like, oh, we're going to go to church, right? So yep. I was like. I'll make some, some coffee. coffee. We don't <laughs> need it, really. But I really didn't need it because I had, you know, had a couple of days of rest or whatever, and I didn't feel like I needed it to wake me up. It was just now, like, the the flavor I searched for in the morning, you know? Do you know what Mormons have sometimes instead of coffee? Just like my grandparents during the Depression. Postum. Postum? Postum. Have you ever had Postum? No. I'll link to that as well. All right, friends. But wait, what's Postum? Oh, it's kind of like a, it's like a plant product that's brown. It's kind of like my dandelion coffee or my mushroom coffee where you just you mix it up and so you have like a brown hot substance in the morning kind of a cereal, yeah. but it doesn't have any caffeine in it. Well, I know I will be looking at myself and my own habits, maybe you too, listener, yeah. so will too, to find out what is driving you yeah. to, to <laughs> some of these things, right? If You know, whatever it might be, it could be sugar, it could be, you know, alcohol, it, it could be something as, as silly as some other routine that you have or whatever. I don't know what exactly might be, uh, you know, taking you where you're going to go, but, um, but it's always good to kind of figure out where it's coming from. Is it coming from you and your enjoyment or society putting certain pressures on you? Mm. Because if it's not just for, you know, what you need actually, um, it's going to keep you from finding that deep peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.